0: Amen. It is good to be here. You are awake. You are alive. You are caffeinated and you're sugared up because I already had a donut or two, but I'm not telling you. I'm stopping right there. Hey, my name is John. I want to welcome you here, especially if you're worshiping with us online in our live stream and uh, you're sitting in the comfort of your couch with your coffee. Yeah, but you aren't here with us live where all the action is. Pastor Jared uh, gives his greetings to you all the way from Germany. I hear he's on a missions trip or he's testing out a BMW on an Autobahn. I'm not sure. Uh, Grab your notes. Um, By the way, you know you stand during worship because the mind cannot absorb what the seat cannot endure. So uh, you're ready to listen, I'm ready to talk, and we're going to open God's Word Lots have changed since I've been here. You know, I'm kind of like Uncle John, you know? I've been around four or five years. I helped your deacons at the time find Pastor Jared, and he's been a great job, and you're here, and love this church, love coming back every summer. Uh, I retired since the last time with you. You don't really retire from ministry, though. How many of you are actually retired? All right? That just means you have a longer honey-do list, as far as I can tell. And if you have grandkids, it gives you more time to catch colds from them when you go and visit them. So we kind of know that drill. Um, So get this transition. Uh, Retired from a Girl Bible Fellowship on Thursday, December 16th, Uh, tested positive for COVID on the 17th. How's that a way to start retirement? (laughs) Hey, you're going to lay down. You're not going anywhere. You're going to stay in bed for a few days. And certainly don't infect your wife. Uh, Sorry, three days later, she got it too. So... We're quite the pair. Uh, so it's been a great time, lots of new developments in our life. Uh, we still live in Agar Hills, but we see our grandkids in San Diego often. I say all this for those of you who are grandparents. Where are the grandparents? Yes, you are my tribe. I never thought I'd say you are my tribe because I keep thinking I'm 22 and have no kids. Well, that ship has passed, hasn't it? So uh, By the way, you're also saying if you're new to the church, go, same silver hair like Pastor Jared, just a little wider version. So um, I'm glad the joy of the Lord is your strength. We're going to have some fun today. So you got the notes, got your pen, ready for action. We're going to talk about Barnabas leading from the second chair. I'm developing a series of messages because I do a ton of pulpit supply now that I'm retired. I had a day job where I couldn't get out much uh, for 44 years on Sunday morning. Now I get to go everywhere. In fact, I'll be back next week. That means you can make vacation plans immediately. (laughs) But if you want to come back next week, I want the kids in here. Can we, I'm begging, I want junior high and high school kids in here. I'll take fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. I'll even throw in an attentive second grader if they'll make it through. Uh, Because we're going to talk next week uh, a sermon called I Want to Be Just Like You. It's a totally family-friendly sermon deal, if you are grandparents and this is the week they're coming to visit, bring them to church with you. I guarantee you the kids will love it, you'll love it, we're going to have a great time. So today we're looking at Barnabas leading from the second chair. I had this idea of of supporting cast, all those Bible characters that uh, maybe we don't see all the information on them, and uh, the subtitle to that is Playing Our Part in God's Story, and so, I've been thinking about this idea of supporting cast members in the Bible, since you live you know, down the street from Disneyland and all their cast of characters. But in the movies, there's always people who are the stars, and there's then the supporting actors and actresses. Some of them are called sidekicks, and they're really talented, but they'll, oftentimes they don't get the same attention. That's the same that's true in Scripture. You've got to dig a little bit to find some of this important information about these characters. So let's play a little game. Uh, I'm going to give you uh, the name of the star, and you're going to give me the name of the supporting character. We'll start from old to most recent. All right? Let's see how you do. We have the Lone Ranger, and we have? Yes. Now, you didn't show them that before they said that, right? All right. Thank you very much. All right. All right. We have Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble, Rubble. yes, you are correct. We have Batman and, oh, you guys are good, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, yes. This is another one, Han Solo and Chewbacca, Chewbacca. that's right. How about James Kirk and, very good. Now, this is for those of you with long hair in the 80s. How about Wayne and Garth? Dude. All right. Very good. Very good. Uh, Now, for a little cultural trivia, how about Napoleon Dynamite and Pedro, Pedro Sanchez? Very good. And then, uh, if you saw, everybody saw this movie, Top Gun, you have Maverick and Goose. Very good. Uh, so you pass. But now let's think of some biblical sidekicks, all right? I don't have pictures, but you have... <laughs> I tried, but I could not find them on Google. So uh, you have Daniel, and you have three of them. And where in the world I found this trick that you grandparents have been using all along when you tell them that story? And it's Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed you go, right? Uh, <laughs> So that's good. Uh, How about another one? How about David and? Sidekick is Goliath? Bad sidekick. He dies in the first scene. Not so sure. Let's try another one. David and? Jonathan. Jonathan. Yeah, his best friend. And then who is, uh, we have uh, the setup man for Jesus. His name was? John the Baptist. All right. So the bottom line is, all these people played uh, sidekick roles, whether in the movies or in the Bible. And maybe you didn't realize that Barnabas is going to play that role in his life, but it doesn't start out that way. In fact, as we look at this quality of Barnabas and the qualities, I'm going to give you several of them, I think seven or eight. We ask, well, why do you study human characters? Don't we, isn't Jesus the hero of the story? Yes. But God gives us biblical characters that we can glean principles from, learn from their mistakes, learn from their example, etc. even though Jesus is the hero of the story. And so what are the character qualities that we're going to see in this guy named Barnabas that are worth emulating today? I think you'll find this fascinating. Now you say, where's the biblical basis for following a human person? Well, of course, we follow Christ, but there's two interesting passages. You might want to write these down at the top of your notes. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you from the word of God, consider the outcome of their life, and imitate their faith. We're told to imitate their faith. That's why next week when I, the basis of my passage, uh, I want to be just like you, is 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. We're going to talk about how to be a spiritual role model to your kids, your grandkids, whether you're a Sunday school teacher. Whether you have kids or don't have kids, this is going to be very applicable to all of us. And then here's another verse, Hebrews 6, 12, do not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So this idea of imitating others' faith is something very biblical. So let's jump to it. Let's look at Barnabas. You're going to have to study the entire book of Acts. Now, I realize that many of you are faster on your phone getting to passages, and that's okay. But if you have an old-fashioned Bible, get to the book of Acts because we'll be going through it kind of chronologically, uh, taking some verses along the way. Number one, he was an encourager. Look at chapter 4, verse 36. Now Joseph, you said I thought we we're talking about Barnabas, you're going to see here in a moment. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, that was from the island of Cyprus, who was also called Barnabas, a.k.a. Barney. By the apostles, which translates, means, son of encouragement. Um, Very first time a mention of him in the New Testament is here in Acts 4. Though his given name was Joseph, his nickname was son of encouragement, and that's what he put on his business card. Now, he's a Levite. What's that mean? He's of the 12 tribes, Israel. he's a Levite from the priestly tribe, born on the island of Cyprus, and probably in the city of Salamis, which will become important a little bit later in our discussion when we go on their their missionary journey. And so that's kind of a homecoming of sorts for him when he goes on that first missionary journey, because Jews on that island would have known him. And so when he goes out to be an evangelist, he goes to his hometown as the first stop. We also know from verse 37, we won't look at it, that he had sold a field, gave the proceeds to the apostles, and um, was an all-around good guy. And I would say a little sneak peek from Acts 11.23, he's a spiritual cheerleader as part of that encouragement he does. It says, when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain one, remain true to the Lord. That's Acts 11.23. So you can put all that under encouragement. And so anytime you, you met this guy, he was an encourager. I think he was a verbal encourager. I think he was just that kind of person that you want to be around and so I would like you to play a little uh, audience participation. Who's an encourager to you? I, we've got a small enough group here. We can say it out loud, and they'll be famous forever on this live stream. Um, who's an encouragement to you? Say a name. Rebecca. Rebecca is an encouragement to you. Who else is an encouragement? Anita. Okay. Back there, you're pointing to her. Okay, very good. Patty, Patty very good. The ladies are really into this, guys. <laughs> just make it an observation this is your time to score big points say your wife's name right now <laughs> all right so you you get the idea we all need an encourage in your life who is that um, I think when I think of this church by the way I did some research on you I've done my homework on you is is Nikki in here right now where's Nikki There's my encourager. I know she's an encourager. Anybody who spends any time with Nikki, man, she's got a smile on her face, does she not? And she's an encouragement to many here at Bethany. Thank you, Nikki. Uh, So why don't you do something this week? Text someone. uh, For those of you that don't know what that is, talk to a millennial. They'll show you how. No, that's not fair. You are very good texters. I know many of you. Uh, can do that. So text someone, uh, maybe old school, write an actual note and get that in the mail uh, today. Should be an encourager. Next, he was a defender. Look at Acts 9, 26 to 29. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Who's he talking about? Who's Acts 9 time? Who's trying to join the disciples? Who's just come to faith in Christ on the Damascus road? Saul, soon to become Paul. But they were all afraid of him. Really? I'm surprised. Why would you be afraid of Saul? He's only been killing everybody along the way, and now he wants to join the club. I'm not so sure. But not believing that he really was a disciple. So he has a a genuine conversion experience, but they're not sure. Eh, not so much. You've been killing us. Now you want to join our club. Maybe it's all a big ruse. But Barnabas took a hold of him, meaning Saul, and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, uh, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So he's a defender. He, he starts by, out of the chute, he's defending this, this murderous uh, former Pharisee, Paul who. Everybody is skeptical about his conversion, right? And so he sticks his neck out literally and defends this guy when nobody else wants to give him a chance, a chance to prove himself. He's an advocate. He vouches for him because this guy was went from persecuting to preaching, and that sometimes is a little problematic for many of us. And maybe you know something like that, man... You got this drug dealer coming to your church. Well, former drug dealer. He has a uh, faith in Christ, and now, you know, should we really look with our, work with our junior hires and someone's got to vouch for him? Uh, some of you, you're, you're, you're not far from those days in your life where you needed someone to vouch for you, right? And le- yet, we, uh, lest we get a little too stuffy here, maybe we're forgotten how much God has forgiven all of us. You don't have to be a Paul or a drug dealer or a bad mob boss, but Christ has forgiven you just like He forgave Saul. And so uh, there was a <clears throat> contest for the best definition of friend. It was, one, it was a, through the Chicago Tribune years ago, and this is the definition of friend that won the contest. definition of a friend is the one who comes in when the whole world goes out. That's the kind of friends we need today. This has been a tough time. I, I got to say, out of forty-four years of, of ministry, I can't say the last couple of years were my favorite. Oh boy, yeah. Let's just be a pastor in the age of COVID. Mm, not my way of ending my ministry career. It was hard. It was divisive. It was, it was painful. And maybe you've experienced some of that too. And everybody wanted to fight about everything. And uh, I want to tell you, it's so nice when you have people as a pastor or uh, uh, elder or. Former deacons that you can just trust in, and you know, there's some people that will defend you, and even when decisions are tough. And so, when should we defend others? Though, just as a little sidebar, little little side discussion. When do you think we should defend other people? Anybody have any ideas? When should we defend other people? I want to give you four reasons when we defend. Huh? When they're falsely accused, yeah. I would say, uh, and that would tie into my last point, when truth or justice is being perverted, when they're falsely accused and justice is being perverted. I think secondly, when God tells you to, just like Barnabas. (laughs) Because I'm sure Barnabas might have thought, "Mm, not so sure I want to do this. Why do I want to risk it here? I've got a good gig going right now, and this guy's kind of interrupting everything. Um, I think a third time, it seems obvious, this is something we teach our grandkids is when the bully is picking on the little guy, right? And we are teaching our grandkids, you defend the powerless, the less fortunate, the, the least popular, not always hang with the cool kids who can be mean and cruel. And then lastly, uh, and this kind of implies this, is you defend others because when it's the right thing to do, it just is the right thing. All right. Number three, let's see this next set of characteristics. Um, Barnabas was fat. I'm going, yeah, my kind of person, right? He was fat. But what do I mean by that? I'm going to give you three words, and they're going to be out of order here. But the first one is uh, the A, he was available, verses 21 and 22. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. In other words, his availability was more important than his ability. He was just available. He went. Now, at this point in this sermon, I would say that the people who have been sent to the foreign land are in your church are not the people in Germany. It's those junior high and high school volunteers working in the culture of America today. Do we have any junior high or high school volunteers in the, in the room? They're probably teaching junior high. Hopefully, they'll be in here next week, but whether it's uh, Salita uh, or others, or I think Brandon, he's the youth pastor, uh, working with kids is a privilege. It did give me gray hair, but it's a privilege. I did it for a number of years, but they are available, and thank goodness they're available to your kids. Um, so, I would think throughout Scripture, you see Barnabas gets tapped to do a, to, a, a project, a, a job. He would later go to Antioch, then he'd go find Paul, then he'd be, bring money back to Jerusalem. Never complaining, he just goes, and he's always he's available for the next mission. So here's your point of application. What is the mission or ministry that God's calling you to next? You know, it's really easy. By the way, people said, oh, how, how do you like this retirement? And I go, well, I'm not really digging the whole retirement thing, because I'm not even sure. I believe it's biblical. You know, I really only had one saleable skill in 44 years. I, I know how to talk. That's it. I can talk and preach. I can't fix a thing. I, I need a plumber in my life. I need uh, all these things. But what I can do even in retirement is to open God's Word. The only difference is now I'm a free agent, right? I can preach anywhere, any place. And so the next month, I'm in different churches. Get to be here next week. So let's be available. <clears throat> next, he was faithful. There's their F from verses 25 and 26, and he took, he left for Tarsus, he took to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year, like that, a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, and notice that word order, it's Barnabas Saul, Barnabas Saul, that's going to change a little bit later, met with the church, <clears throat> and a great, taught great numbers of people, the disciples were called Christians <clears throat> there in Antioch, and so I was trying to think, who Who's been some faithful, long term um, servants of God here? And you could mention your friends here. But I did a little research. I think Jim and Penny, right? Jim and Penny Goforth. They've been very faithful, doing a lot. Are they here today? I think they're gone. Huh? They're on vacation. Okay, we give them a week off. Next week. We'll see them next week. Um, But you know who else has been faithful? They're right here in the front row. Jimmy James and Irene. Uh, I met Jimmy uh, five years ago, four years ago, when he contacted me about helping the the deacons uh, in the search process. And so, um, who or what are you giving your life to? I guess that's what I'm saying. As you're faithful, who or what are you giving your life to? Then thirdly, he was trustworthy, verses 29 and 30. That's how we get fat. Faithful, available, and trustworthy, verse 29, and the portion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judah, and they did this, sending in charge Barnabas and Saul, the elders, to bring the money. In verse 12, 25, and when they had fulfilled their mission, they were trustworthy. He was handling the money. Uh, He had built up trust so that the the deacons, the apostles, would uh, be able to trust them and bring the money back to Jerusalem. Um, by the way, he never skimmed. He had proven himself, and I think this is heartbreaking in many churches when you find someone who's kind of skimming the offering plate, and, and you, it's horrible. It's divisive, and things happen. I had an intern one time that was working for me in Huntington Beach, and we kept, like, people had been turning money in for camp and checks, and uh, just, we couldn't find it. Like, we put it in the office manager's box and this and that, and heartbreaking, many months later, I got in the car, said, let's go to In-N-Out, and I got in his car, and his car was a mess, and there on the floor are checks from the church that he had taken. I don't know what he think. He couldn't cash them, and it was a very painful, painful conversation. He wasn't trustworthy. Number four, Uh, we see that Barnabas was Holy Spirit directed and called by God. We have two different passages there, full of the Holy Spirit, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. By the way, in your ministry, it always starts with the Holy Spirit, which you get at the moment of salvation, but are you Holy Spirit directed? Do you allow the, the Spirit to lead you, guide you? And what we see of Barnabas, his his agenda is always subservient to what God wants in his life. And by the way, growth follows spirit-led leaders. And so look at what happens as he's being spirit-led. It says considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Secondly, he's called by God. Look at chapter 13, verse 2. When they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Notice that again, Barnabas, then Saul. Then Saul. For the work of which I've called them to. Now this is very, very important because in that verse, chapter 13, uh, that's the last time Barnabas' name is going to be mentioned first. You're going to see a a transition here in our next point where it goes Saul first and then Barnabas. And so he's called by God. But there's if we were going to do a study of the entire book of Acts, it's simply divided in two sections. Acts 1 through 12 is seen through the lens of Peter's ministry, but really from chapter 13 on, you see it through the lens of Paul's ministry, and you say, what about Barnabas? We're going to find out that in a moment. And so, we know that God used Peter to reach the Jews, and now He's going to use Paul to reach the Gentiles. But in Barnabas' life, you can see this unmistakable call on his life, right? Uh, He's set apart for service. Now, I've always thought about this, now that I'm a layperson in my local church, I'm not paid to serve, and I have a greater and greater, after this last year, appreciation for those of you who have served faithfully in your church, and you're called right here to Bethany, and this is where you've served faithfully for very many, many years. In fact, I bet some of you have been here serving faithfully for More than 30 years. So let me just, for fun, uh, if you've been serving here 30 or more years, and we'll uh, consider attending and you can have some time off if you had to have some babies and you got back into serving in the nursery, whatever, but 30 or more years, would you stand up for me, Uh, this idea of being called? You don't have to be a pastor or a missionary to be called. Here's the people who've been called to this ministry for 30 or more years. All right. All right. Now, we're not going to go up, like, by increments of five so that we have, like, someone that we wheel out, you know, from behind the scene who's on a ventilator, like, I've been here 74 years. No, we're not doing that, right? But the bottom line is, God bless you. God bless you for your faithfulness over these last 30 years. By the way, my cult ministry was in eighth grade. I was 14 years old, and I remember my youth pastor coming to me and saying, John, there's only two things that are going to last for eternity. The word of God and people, and I made a decision right then and then I wanted to to do something that would utilize God's word and relate to people, and I started working with junior hires a few years later when I got enough to be older than them. Uh, But I started working with fifth graders and third graders. I went to Pine Summit Camp as a counselor. When I got into high school, I worked in like these summer day camps. played baseball, and then God called me from that to work with junior hires when I was at Biola University. So, this call is important, and I don't want to lessen the impact on some of you young parents who have kids to, to, that God's hand is on them. I have five grandkids, and I think my number two, Rhett, is going to be called to ministry. I just see it. I see how he reacts to people. He's only, he's only uh, seven, almost eight but I can see it in just his spirit and his demeanor, right? His brother, older brother, may know everything, but, but the compassionate one is number two, right? And number three is a girl, and she's just bossy. Um, <laughs> but, um, oh, that's on tape, isn't it? Hey, <laughs> hey, family, if you ever, they won't know I'm here preaching. It's all good. All right, number, number five, he was humble, Chapter 13, verse 13, notice this. Paul and his companions put out to sea. And it never, like I said, from that point on, it's always Paul and then somebody else, whether it's Barnabas or his companions. And so Barnabas, after being a leader, graciously, graciously moves to the second chair. He quietly decreases as Paul ministry increases. Who does that sound like? John the ba- Very John the Baptist-like, right? I must decrease as he increases, John 3.30. And so he has this gift of kind of fading into the background. Um, the idea of not being addicted to being prominent or in first place or being seen. Didn't crave the limelight. He's really self-effacing. Uh, and he was willing to say, hey, Paul's got better gifts. You, I'm going I'm to step aside. Interesting enough that Barnabas never wrote a book of the Bible, though some think that he could have written the book of Hebrews. I don't think so. But much of our New Testament wouldn't have happened unless we had Paul, who he supported. And then the two most influential people that he influenced, besides Saul slash Paul, uh, is John Mark, which we're going to hear about in a moment. Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament, and John Mark uh, wrote the gospel, which bears his name. So 14 out of 27 books are these two individuals. I would say he knew what it meant to be in the second chair, to be humble. Uh, Any of you old enough to remember the the cry fest movie called Brian's Song? I do this for those of you who may be sports fans and are over 60. Uh, You do. It's a story of Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo, and it's a, it's a movie you should go watch on Nickelodeon, and I'll leave it at that. But this idea of I am second. In fact, he is greater than I. I think I got a picture of that. Do I? Yeah, he is greater than I. This is, that was the, you know, Barnabas could have marketed that on Instagram back in the day. He would have been famous for other reasons, but that's, a, that's, that's Barnabas' mantra. He's greater than I. Now, we say Jesus is greater than I. But oftentimes in serving, there's always someone else that's maybe in the limelight, and you've been in the second chair. <clears throat> I've, I had that privilege of doing that at my church in Agura. Some of you don't know this, but 10 years ago, I was the interim senior pastor at Agura Bible Fellowship. And because I have a, a ministry to help churches find pastors like I did here, and, and, and pastors find churches, and churches find pastors, I actually found the senior pastor who continues to serve there today. And they installed him, and I stepped down as the interim, and through a set of circumstances, he said, well, why don't you stay as associate pastor? So I had that. Hey, I'm going to take the second chair as the associate, and it was a wonderful experience for 10 years. Now, fast forward into my last year of ministry, when it's decided, I think it's time for me to just, you know, fade out into the sunset, so to speak. Um, The pastor said, would you train in our high school pastor to be your replacement as the associate pastor? I said, Sure. So I am pretty certain that I'm one of the very few pastors who has replaced himself twice <laughs> in, in the same church. And um, so it's been a privilege. And I just spent the weekend at our men's retreat watching my successor hit the ball out of the park. And I gotta tell you something. I am a proud daddy, so to speak, because I've watched my successor flourish and I'm really proud of how our senior pastor has led us through COVID and all that over the last 10 years, and uh, our pastor was saying that the church is at its highest attendance in church history as of this last week. And so, and, and in my sense of economy, I I made a decision a long time ago, I don't need to be in the first chair, but Lord, I want to be near where you're moving and how you're changing things so that I can be a part of your work in a church. And I think by the way your days you've had some some um, fantastic history in this church. You've been around a long time, but I think your best days are ahead. And I know sometimes it gets hard because you have transitions and you you had your pastor here for 33 years and before then you had the infamous famous uh, Donald Schaff, and you've had some unbelievable youth pastors like Ed Noble and whatnot, and uh, I don't know if I told you this, since we've spent a lot of time in San Diego, we actually attend Journey Church where Ed Noble is the lead pastor, and uh, we have a lot of, and some of you may oh go, who is Ed Noble? And But by the way, you should have him back here to preach sometime, um, and just love, because uh, we were... Uh, youth pastors together in the day when Huntington Beach, EV Free, and Bethany did a lot of stuff together. So coming here, I think I've told this before, but for me, this is like always, it's almost coming home again because we did so much, our two youth groups, and that was, <laughs> that was 44 years ago. You go, dang, you're that old? Uh-huh, I am. Yeah, I am. I've earned all those 66 years. So that hum- humility, moving to the second chair, um, so let's move on uh, the next one is number six and I'm going to not spend a lot of time let the scripture speak for itself but thirdly Barnabas had a proper understanding of his relationship to God and if you understand who you are in relationship to God and you don't get that messed up then these next three things are going to be true of your life number one you're not going to let applause go to your head we look at verses 11 and 12 when the crowd saw them and they shouted in these languages, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And they're going, eh eh, that, that's not good. No, they didn't let it go to their head. So what do they do? Number two, he was grounded and he knew who he was. Look at verse 14. But when the apostles of Barnabas heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd. Shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are just human like you. We're bringing you the good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth. So he was grounded. He knew who he was. And then thirdly, he pointed people to God and deflected the praise. He reminded them of God's work, not their own. In the past, he let all nations go their way. He's given this little expose on Israel. Yet he has not given, left himself without a testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So they pointed to God. By the way, that's something that we don't do very well when we get accolades, just as people, right? Hey, that was a great sermon, Pastor. Uh, I'd rather have you say, that was so convicting, God spoke to me and I need to do this as a result of what you said. Uh, By the way, there is a false pride. When you do something well, it's okay to say thank you, praise the Lord. Sometimes I see this false humility uh, when someone tries to give you a compliment and you say, oh, it, it was the Lord. No, I'm pretty sure you're the one who dug that ditch out there. Now, God helped you, by giving you endurance. And so, here's the way to accept praise. When, so, when someone wants to thank you for something, say, hey, thank you, praise the Lord, and just leave it at that. Thank, thank the Lord that I got to be a part of that, uh, that I'm a part of this fellowship, etc. Then number seven, He is a man of principle and conviction. Acts 15, verses 37 to 39 and here's an interesting thing that happens, because now we're going to see the big breakup here. This, you said you knew this was coming. Like, hey, didn't they kind of get into it later on in life? Well, here it is. Acts 15, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, along with them, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement. This is where we could get a mini-series out of this right there, Right? sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him, and we know later that Saul took Silas, right? And they sailed away to Cyprus. So here's the backstory. Two or three years after their first missionary journey, Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go and revisit the churches we planted, the people we've encouraged, etc., and who should we put on our, our our, our team? And Paul doesn't want to bring John Mark, because if you remember in the first journey, John Mark gets homesick and, and kind of leaves midway, but Barnabas doesn't agree with him, right? So Barnabas is the guy who wants to give the kid, quote unquote, a break. Remember go back that he's a defender? This is a consistent... Per- if I picked one trait about Barnabas, he was loyal and he defended other people. He's done it all of his life. He does it again here with John Mark, and he doesn't see him as, as a deserter. And I think Barma says, hey, the kid learned his lesson. He was young. And I could say, Paul, were you, weren't you young one time? And you, blah, blah, blah. And Paul said, no, I was a zealous Pharisee. I'd never, my, my, you know, you could see how Paul had to kind of have an ego and maybe defend himself. What's interesting is Luke doesn't take sides, right? Luke doesn't take sides in this. He's just describing, here are the facts of what happened. Paul insisted they needed a more reliable person. And this disagreement... Is so deep it can't be resolved. And these veteran missionaries go back and it's about 15 years they've been doing stuff by this time, but they part company. It's a church split, it's the ultimate breakup. Ouch. Maybe you've been through a church split here. Maybe you've been in a former church where the church split or where there were two personalities and The senior and the associate couldn't get along, and one of them spun off a church down the street. So you look at that, and you say, was that that supposed to happen? What do you think? Was was this supposed to happen, or should they have worked it out? Trick question. Yeah. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? He's going to work in spite of us many times. And because they couldn't get along, it doubles The evangelistic ministry in the book of Acts by these these guys splitting, you know, recruiting other people and uh, doubling down. So, I I, I know it it looks like a black eye, but God uses it. Now, I'm not defending church splits and, you know, uh, hostile takeovers like uh, David and Absalom, you know, that kind of thing. But I think it's so interesting that Barnabas defended Paul in his early days, if anybody should give a guy a second chance, it should have been Paul. Yeah. Uh, the apostles had to be convinced that Paul was a good dude, uh, but Paul couldn't get there. He could not get there. He just saw Mark as a young deserter. You say, is that how it ends? That's horrible. Well, hang on, because um, I want to give you a little other side deal here. By the way, I love studying God's Word and not just talking about what is obvious. So, what's obvious is that you should be asking me is, what in the world? I know Barnabas is a nice guy, but there's something deeper. Why was he so protective of John Mark? What do you think? There's something interesting that you can get from another text that might give us, inform us on our answer here. What do you think? Why was he so supportive of this young pup named John Mark. Let me give you a few reasons. Number one, because he's family. This is cousin Mark, cousin little Johnny Mark, his cousin. It says in Colossians 4.10, my fellow prisoner Ar-tica, you whatever it is, Mr. A, uh, <laughs> sends you his greetings, so does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. That's number one. Number two, I think he knows that Paul is not being charitable. He is not being forgiving. He's momentarily letting his ego get in the way of a, of a bigger decision. And number three, he did it because he's practicing forgiveness. This is a this is something worth imitating. He practiced forgiveness. He's that second chance guy. He's that guy that realized that he was young, but he would not leave him in the proverbial penalty box for the rest of his ministry. All right. You know, when I come away from the pulpit, I go from preaching, and now I'm just going to meddle a little bit, okay? Some of you have messed up in your life somewhere along the line, right? Now, you don't have to raise your hand. Yeah, I did this, I did that. But you've messed up. And for some of you, you've left yourself in the penalty box, and you've beat yourself up long enough about how God can't use you or how you can't recover from that. For some of you, it was a divorce that you didn't want, you fought, you lost, and now you feel like a second-class citizen. For others of you, it's a parenting thing that happened with... it, feels like <laughs> it is getting hot in here, right? It's getting personal. Getting personal. It's 72 in the front. It's about 83 up here right now. (laughs) And so you put yourself in the penalty box or you're a parent. Because your kids chose to not walk with God, you beat yourself up because of the prodigal nature of your, with your kids. And those prodigal kids are not 17, they're 42 or 32 or 22. Yet you hold the grief of, I'm at a, I messed this up somehow. i got to tell you something. If you get anything from Barnabas, he's the guy that gives people second chances because he knows that he serves a God who gives us second chances. I am so grateful to have a wife who's put up with me, this knucklehead, for 44 years. She's such a godly woman. to, to And I'm not, you're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, no. You don't live with me, man. I am a piece of work, let me tell you. <laughs> you know where she's at today? She's in West Covina. She's take, she took her mom. We had her mom all week. She's 87. Every month, we take her mom for a week, and she, they, she spends a week with us. But mom's going to a new church. So she made sure she took mom home yesterday, spent the night, and she wants to meet the new pastor at the new church that mom's going to. And make sure she has groceries in the refrigerator, and meets her friends, and make sure she's settled in, and then she'll drive home later today. My wife is the epitome of giving people the second chance, right? And we've been a great balance in ministry, because I might have want to been the son of thunder, right? I might have been praying those imprecatory prayers like David, let the evildoers die, you right? Get your shorts in a bunch, pastor. Come on, life's too short. Don't do that. And she said, oh, come on now. She never said it's not that bad. She knew it was bad. She would just say, maybe there's another view. Maybe we should pray about it. Don't bring God in praying into this. I just want to be mad, right? (laughs) Right? We've been there. And thank goodness there's a Barnabas in your life who is that second chance kind of guy or gal who brings perspective to your life. When you're about to go off the rails, they say, hey, hey, hey. Take a deep breath. That's Barnabas. Here's a principle. Write it down. It's not enough to know what's right. You've got to do what's right. Friends, don't be educated beyond your obedience. God's given you the gift to understand His Word, and just because you know it, you've got to apply it. So here's the ultimate meddling question. Is there someone you've got to let out of the penalty box? Personally, that you got to forgive someone who hurt you, who's disappointed you, and I—I I don't want to minimize the pain of whatever that event was, but eventually, you got let it go. You got to let go of it. You got to let go of it. Well, they ultimately do patch it up. By the way, we don't find that out until 1 Corinthians nine six. Sometime after separating from Paul, Barnabas, Paul refers to Barnabas as a fellow worker, and the relationship is healed. And here's what I know happened. An older and wiser Paul would later forgive John Mark and ask him to join him via his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.12. So whether it was Paul's tough love or Barnabas's tender heart, Mark wrote the second gospel. It's pretty awesome for a kid who failed on his first missionary journey, did not pass missions 101 and God brings the victory because he becomes useful both as Peter's interpreter as well as he's useful to Paul. And so I would say this as we wrap up. The ministry is made up of a lot of judgment calls here. And friends, you're in a lot of transition. You have been for the last few years. And there are are times where you just have to trust your leadership. You have an elder board now, You've kind of repositioned the deacons, uh, and there's sometimes that we just disagree. We disagree about stuff, right? Approaches to ministry, some of you like hymns, some of you like this, some of you like expository preaching, some of you like this. Um, there's different styles, but the bottom line is God's going to use you in a special way as a church, as a church. And even uh, in doing so, you got to be a, a man or woman of conviction as you work through those things. Well, there's a couple things. Postscript: His death, we know through history, but not through the Bible, that he was martyred, ironically in Salamis in AD 61, on the island of Cyprus, by a, a mob stirred up by a guy named Bar Jesus, no, known as Elmas, and the same po- false prophet that had caused issues for. Paul and Barnabas in their first missionary journey ended up being instrumental in his death many, many years later. And so I'm going to have the band come and I'm going to lead you through some guided applications. So if you just kind of get your notes in front of you or bow your heads as the band is coming, let's close in prayer. And I want you to think about Barnabas and, and the teaching point for you today. And so as you, as you think about Barnabas's life, And this idea of the son of encouragement who led from the second chair, maybe you need to encourage someone this week, and that's your takeaway. Do it. Write that name down. Or maybe there's someone you need to defend or vouch for. Write that name down and and do it. And then evaluate your own life. Are you fat, faithful, available, trustworthy? And are you Holy Spirit anchored? Are you faithful? Are you humble? Are you willing to be in the second chair? And when it all comes down to it, are you willing to be a man or woman of conviction? Those are the lessons that we've learned today. So Lord, may that be true of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.